I think there's a common misconception and I had it originally, I'm very guilty of this. I'm like, oh, esports, those, those aren't athletes, right? When people say they're not athletes, why are they wrong? So I'm not gonna start from the premise they are wrong, right? Like I think that whether or not someone is an athlete or whether or not something is a sport is an arbitrary line drawing exercise that reasonable humans can disagree about, right? Like, it, it, you know, whether or not League of Legends is a sport is is on some level irrelevant, right? Like it, it's it's just about how many people care about it. And you're right, does it become part of the cultural zeitgeist, right? So do we care if some third party decides on the definition of sport and that we don't fall into it? Does that matter? Or is this really just about how popular it is, how many people want to watch the thing, engage with the thing, and call it a day, right? There are tons of sport like, does anyone argue about whether track is a sport? Outside of the Olympics every four years, does anyone give a shit about track? Good point. Welcome back to Yang Speaks, folks. This is Zach Grauman, your co-host. Excited to be with you all and really excited because today is Thursday and you know what that means. We're focused on the future of our special limited series. And today's topic is the future of esports, competitive gaming, folks. So I saw this YouTube video of a guy saying that more people watched the League of Legends World Championship then watched the college football playoff. And that was in 2016. And that blew my mind. I said, I got to get this guy on the podcast. We did. His name is Bryce Blum, founder of Theorycraft. And uh, he basically advises all of the players in the esports world from contract negotiations to sponsorships on the corporate level. He has knowledge about the inner workings and the high level picture of where this industry of competitive gaming and esports is going. It is mind blowing. Holy crap. Talk about world that doesn't get enough attention. So I asked him a whole bunch of questions that what is this? Where is it going? Is this really a sport? Does that matter? And he put me in my place a number of times. I learned a ton. Carly Riley joins, uh, who's a recurring co-host for us as our finance director on the presidential campaign. Always love Carly's perspective. The, the title of this episode is, is, the next, <laughs> is the next LeBron James a video gamer, which I'm being a little facetious. But the concept is that is someone as iconic as LeBron James is the next person who's gonna be that iconic, potentially a video gamer. And guys, by the numbers, that is not as far-fetched as it sounds. So tune in, listen up, the future of esports on Yang Speaks. All right, folks, welcome to your next episode of Yang Speaks, the future of, and we are talking about the future of sports, specifically esports. And I'm so, I'm so freaking excited. We have someone who's, I think, so unique at this point in, let's call it the existence and future of a certain industry, and that is esports. So Bryce Blum has joined us today, and Bryce is the founder of, of a firm called Theorycraft, but what he does is advises, I'm gonna say anyone and everything on esports, competitive electronic sports and gaming. And 
this industry is blowing up, essentially already has blown up, yet no one is truly talking about it enough given the scale it's got. So we've got Bryce here and we're also joined by the one and only Carly Riley. Always love your perspective. So both of you, welcome. Thank you for being here. Always love being here. Me too. I have always loved being here. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, like, I'm a simple question. What is an esport? What is esports? How do you define it? I usually say esports is the umbrella term that refers to professional competitive video gaming. Um, so, you know, e video games are to esports what basketball is to the NBA, right? So, as you can imagine, there are far more games and gamers than qualify as esports, much like there are far more people who play some form of sport than are doing it at the you know, 0.001% highest professional le you know, level, you know, put a different way. Esports are the very bottom of the gaming funnel. It's not just like people playing Madden online, right? These are very, I mean, some of them are like invented worlds, right? Tell me how, like, how's it work? Yeah, there are esports, you know, ecosystems built around the sports simulation games, FIFA being the biggest, but Madden and NBA 2K have very large competitive scenes as well. None of them are in the top five most popular esports, right? The the biggest esports in the world are games that you may or may not have heard of, right? League of Legends, the most popular video game on the planet, the most popular esport on the planet um, is and has been, you know, for close to a decade now is kind of the marquee esport, but then you have other titles that you're that you might be familiar with counter-strike which has been around in some form for the last 20 years right as we've gone through the different iterations of the game dota call of duty fortnite overwatch right these are the these are the big titles when you're thinking about esports why do you think that is like why do you think those games really capture people at the scale that they do more so than like these sports games or you know madden and fifa and those there are a bunch of reasons, right? There's there's no one specific reason why sports simulation esports are less popular, but a few of them are. One, sports simulation games tend to be most popular on console. PC gaming, right, is playing on your computer at home. Uh, console gaming is Xbox, PlayStation. And there are more people who have played a game of League of Legends on planet Earth than currently own an Xbox or PlayStation. So the addressable market for a console game is smaller than it is for a PC game, and these games historically right. have all been played on console. Um, there's also elements of this that are, uh, first, the core uh, sports simulation games are, are 1v1 games, at least historically. There's some innovation happening around that right now, but um, historically, you played Madden, you know, me against you, and that means that a whole bunch of what is happening in the game is AI, right? You're not controlling it. You're the quarterback who throws the ball, but whether or not the receiver catches the ball, whether or not a defender intercepts it, generally speaking, is outside of the control of the player. And so it's a little bit less compelling in that way. Um, and then I also just think, you know, there are there is a subset of people who play sports-based video games and they tend to be fans of the sport themselves. And so it's just a smaller market than if you're looking at all of the people who play games. I mean, you know, there are 3 billion gamers in the world, right? And so- Three billion. Yeah, and so when you find the you know the best of the best competitive game, you're not going to have three billion people playing League of Legends, but you you know at its peak, it's over a hundred million monthly active users for League of Legends, right? And so there's just so many more potential players of those games out there than there are for the sports simulation games, where you're really mostly interested in it if you're also interested in the sport itself. Carly, did you grow up playing video games? N no, uh, and it's actually this is a question that I'm, I'm sure gamers will hate me for, and I know I know it, like people like to push back on it, so I want to hear the pushback. I wasn't allowed to play a lot of these games because my parents were opposed to the violence and the violence in the games, and my mom was was very worried about it. 
making people more violent or aggressive or angry. Do you do you hear that, Bryce? And what's your what do you sort of say to that? Yeah, I hear it all the time. I hear it so often that about a year ago in in I can't remember where there was a mass shooting um, and, and there was some connection that the person played Call of Duty and it wasn't in the US. I think it was in Germany or something and politicians were um, talking about, oh, this is a gaming related thing. And so I was like, I'm just going to dispel this myth. So I I compiled all the everything I'd read over the course of my life about this. Uh, and spoiler alert, there is absolutely nothing that connects mass shootings or violence to video gaming. There are far more and better studies on the side that there is absolutely no causal link whatsoever than there are on a limited basis. There is some, there is some proof that certain types of video games have led to increased aggression, for example, right? Um, but I, for what it's worth, Carly, I grew up in the same household. I wasn't allowed to play games growing up. My mom thought that they, it wasn't, it was less about violence and more that they rotted my brain. And turns out that neither of these things are true, actually, right? There's a ton of good research out there. Not every video game, right? If you're playing, you know, 10 straight hours of Grand Theft Auto, that's probably not the most enriching thing. But the <laughs> esports, the esports games we're talking about, right? League of Legends and Counter-Strike, these are deeply complicated and cerebral games that require an enormous amount of, of team cohesion, teamwork, overcoming of adversity, creative problem solving, etc. And so there's actually a, lot, a growing body of research that these types of games are incredibly enriching, They that they improve performance, uh, you know, not just in, in STEM related, but across the board in school. Um, so there's a lot of, and there's a great... Um, there's a great uh, TED talk on this that Jane McGonigal did about gamers saving the world that's that's worth watching. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in that same household and it turns out that my mom you know, lied to me or I guess the more charitable <laughs> interpretation is she wasn't reading the research, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. League of Legends seems to be a different beast. So what is that? Let's, I know nothing besides some of the quick research I did. So let's assume I know nothing. How does it work? You wouldn't believe how many times I've gotten this question and I'm still pretty bad at answering it. It's so complicated. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, League of Legends, it's it's kind of like if someone asks you to explain football, right? Like, where do you mm. start, right? Like, okay, so there's, you know, a bunch of people on the field. You alternate between offense and defense. You can throw the ball. You can also hand it to people. There's, there's, a, there's a line of scrimmage, which is like a line where no one can cross it until the ball is hiked. Oh, and hiking the ball is when... The center, oh, a center is a guy on the line. Oh, wait, what is the offensive line, right? Like, it's actually amazing. And we haven't even gotten to anything, right? I haven't explained anything about what football is. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, League of Legends is played five on five. There are elements of the game that are very individual. You start in what are called lanes for most of the players. So there is there are two, there are three lanes, two lanes where people participate individually, one where it's a pair. And then there's a kind of a neutral area in the middle of the map called the jungle. And so everyone has a jungler that kind of roams around the map and makes plays throughout. The game starts off in a more kind of siloed way. And as the game progresses, you you move more towards like playing as a five-man unit and kind of five-man against five-man, but there are also strategies that involve kind of separating the map and, you know, one team really wants a five-man fight and the other team is like, we don't want to give you that. We'll put one person top, one person bot, and we'll just constantly disengage and put pressure on the map elsewhere. The ultimate goal of a game of League of Legends is to destroy the other side's base, their nexus, Um, and in order to do that, you need to kill towers along the way that are protecting that base but how you get there and what a game of league of legends looks like varies wildly the the important thing i think for our purposes is it's a 5v5 game um where it requires an incredible amount of strategy based on the characters that you pick uh and how the game flow works and playing from behind is very different from playing from ahead playing from ahead with this set of champions is different than playing with that set of champions but it's every bit as complex as what's happening on the field of football it's just in the same way that a football fan can watch and appreciate the nuances between zone and man-to-man defense and be like, oh my God, Aaron Rodgers just looked off the safety in order to create the space for the out route or whatever, right? A, a League of Legends fan is doing the same thing when they're watching it. It's just, if you don't know the game, you don't know the game. When you get to um, the the higher stakes tournaments, you play series, usually best of fives. And I, I always analogize it to like a tennis match where each game is a set of tennis and you're trying to be the first to, you know, get to three sets. So I was having this conversation a couple months ago with some friends about why we haven't had any new sports invented, right? Ignorant of esports, right? We were like, there hasn't been, you know, a lot of these sports football, hockey, soccer, baseball, basketball, like they've been around for hundreds of years, right? And human beings evolve different ways. Like we were creative enough to create new sports. And we were talking about the barriers to entry for those sports, these traditional sports are pretty high, right? Where you usually, in order to become a competitive, let's call it, become an NBA player, become the, the pinnacle of your game, you need a ton of parental support. You need to start at an early age. You need to find other kids who have the same parental support and start early age. Um, And basically when you're young, you are learning the same 100 year old, 200 year old rules of how the game is played. And there's some beauty to that for sure. Um, But that also prevents some of the best athletes in the world from playing newer games, right? They're mastering some of these old games in a different way. And with esports, it's called League of Legends. Like you, if someone creates a new game, you probably have hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of new video games coming out. And if people people can find it online, if it's good, other people join it, and if it's really good, other people start really mastering the craft. And the barrier to create a completely new sport has now been essentially eliminated or vastly lowered. Um, 
Would you agree with that? Is that one of the reasons why some of like this thing is so complex, way more complex in football? Some of the like hand-eye coordination is extraordinarily elite. I know you showed me a video of someone like firing off with a with a controller, like rapid speed, incredible hand-eye coordination in order to do you know execute at these levels. Like, agree with that statement? I don't know your thoughts on like how this is kind of morphed into something new. Yeah, I sort of agree, sort of disagree. So first of all, there are definitely newer sports. I mean, no one was playing Frisbee golf 20 years ago, right? You know, there are certain sports like cross country that have been around for thousands of years, right? And then other sports that have been around for hundreds of years or a hundred years, right? Uh, it's not like the NBA is 300 years old, right? Um, but point taken, right? Like the the arc of, of traditional stick and ball sports tends to be a much kind of longer story than a typical video game. And that's absolutely the case. I mean, if you look at the history of video games, it's, it's one where we're constantly pushing the bounds of what's possible from a technological perspective. And so there's a lot of innovation happening and a lot of therefore new and better games that are coming out. But this, the esports overlay to this is really interesting because if you, you know, I mentioned the most popular esports being League of Legends and Counter-Strike. Well, League of Legends is a decade old and still the most popular game. There have been hundreds of games, thousands of games, you know, millions of games that have come out in this decade, right? Some of them have become incredibly popular, right? Like You've probably all heard of Ninja and Fortnite, right? Or if you haven't, a lot of your audience has. You know, will League of Legends still be the most popular esport in 30 years? I don't know, but it's possible, right? And, and that's Riot Games' bet, by the way. Riot Games' bet is that they're creating a generational esport. And Riot Games is the developer of League of Legends? Ex- exactly. And and their, their hope is that in 30 years, when we're listing the biggest sports in the world, we're going to say soccer and we're going to say League of Legends. Right. And I don't know if Riot is going to win. Right. The odds are against them. It's really hard to stay that popular for that long. But I am 100 percent sure that whatever the most popular esport is in 2050, it will be that popular, that we will be saying a video game and soccer because the, the global market penetration of gaming is already to that extent. And when you compare that to the other big stick and ball sports, you know, basketball, football, baseball, whatever, they are phenomenon that exist in some subsection of the globe. Right. Depending on the sport, it you know there's different answer. Baseball is very popular in the U.S., also in South America and certain parts of Asia. Football is mostly just popular in the U.S., but certain parts of Europe. Basketball is very popular in certain areas of Asia, very popular in Europe, very popular in some other regions, right? But the kind of the global potential of being the most popular competitive video game is just higher than it is for basically any sport that's not soccer. Is accessibility a part of why it's so big, though? And I think. More so than what you're saying, Zach, what strikes me is like there's like physical limitations to becoming a pro athlete. Like I could never be a professional basketball player just by virtue of my like stature, you know, <laughs> like it was just never happening for me. But that's not true. There's actually, it's like more accessible in some ways, these gaming site, these games are, or at least I would think of them that way. Is that a factor in this? The ceiling for being the, you know, the upper echelon of a top tier esport is every bit the ceiling that exists for traditional sports, right? To to Zach's like pipeline. That pipeline question, the pipeline doesn't really exist yet because we haven't had a generation of, you know, we haven't had the second generation of esports fans. It's starting yeah. to happen, right? Like yeah. I'm having my first kid in May, and, and hey, I will. Thank you, thank you. I'm very excited, uh, and I will. I will watch Seahawks games with her, but I will also watch Team Liquid versus Cloud Nine. Right. And and that'll just be part of our life. And she will grow up in a world in which she is indoctrinated, not just into her dad's sports fandom, but into her esports fandom. Right. And when you think about how we get our sports fandom, by the way, it's exactly where you would think we would come from. Over 98% of sports fandom comes from one of two places. You get it 
generationally from your parents or you get it from your geography, right? And we haven't created those dynamics in esports yet, but we will. And to return to your core, your core question, Carly, right? This pipeline is going to exist, and in order to be a top esports, you know, player, athlete, whatever term you want to use, it's every bit as hard as it will be to get into the NBA. And it's not side strength, speed, agility that's going to be the separating criteria, but it's going to be mechanical skill, right? And and under in your ability to control your, you know, whatever your controller, your mouse, your keyboard, as well as an enormous amount of real time, complex strategic decision making. You know, when you're talking about a, a group of League of Legends players, you know, it's, we, we commend Aaron Rodgers for his football IQ or Tom Brady, right? Uh, and there are tons of players in all the different sports. LeBron James is another one we talk about all the time where it's like his basketball IQ is off the charts. You don't need an off the charts basketball IQ to play in the NBA, though. You can just be a very good basketball player. You need an off the charts you know, game IQ for all of these games. You cannot be an elite level Counter-Strike player or Fortnite player or Rocket League player or League of Legends player without an off the charts IQ for the game. And so we're testing for different things, but we're very much sorting for the 0.0001% of capability of humanity. So how we found how we found how I found you, Bryce, was talking. I have a friend that works in like the event, a lot of parts of esports, and he uh, sent me this video of you. The point I remember vividly, and this was in 2016, we made this video, where you showed a bar graph of the number of people who watched the NCAA college football playoff championship, and I think that was like 20 some odd million, and then you showed the number of people who watched the League of Legends championship. And it dwarfed it, doubled it. It was in 40 million plus or so. So, and that was five years ago. Um, talk to me how big we're talking here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And it's a good uh, it's a good moment for me to do a little bit of a mea culpa and, and be realistic about some mistakes I made early on in my career where um, putting that, I, I, you had that reaction for a reason, right? I wanted you to have that reaction, right? I wanted you to think, wow, are esports bigger than the traditional sports? But there's a reality to the way in which esports viewership is measured, particularly at that time where it was measured in total. And I talked about this during the presentation, I believe, right? I talked about, you know, what I used to say is it's an apples to oranges comparison. You're comparing total uniques to Nielsen ratings. What it actually is, is an apples to lug wrenches comparison, right? <laughs> you're comparing you're comparing on Nielsen ratings, a weighted average of people who are watching a broadcast at any given point in time, controlling for number of human beings that watch a TV on average. And in total uniques, you're comparing the number of devices that have watched at least a second of a broadcast, right? Mm. And so it's pretty, it's pretty misleading. And it led to misleading headlines like the League of Legends World Championships is bigger than the NBA Finals. That's a headline that was run everywhere from ESPN to CNBC because no one unpacked the data. And... I would unpack the data during my presentation and I would make these points, but I but I should never have used the graph in the first place. You guys are building your brand though. You're building your sport. And it is so much bigger than I think people realize, which is fundamentally the point. Yeah, absolutely. But the nice thing is, right, we've we've evolved. We've both grown a lot in the last five years and we've evolved in how we're showing the data. So for example, the League of Legends World Championships last year had over 100 million unique viewers, total unique viewers. But they also measured what a, what is a new digital measurement uh, statistic called average minute audience. And it's not one-to-one with Nielsen, but it's much closer. And in many ways, average minute audience is actually a better statistic because I'm it's imagine, more clear yeah. what we're actually saying. We're saying at an average minute 
of this world championship, this is how many people were watching, right? And it's and it's valuable. And in last year, there were 22 million people in the AMA of the League of Legends World Championship. So, you know, it wasn't that big five years ago. I don't actually have that number from five years ago, right? But it was probably in the ballpark of three to five million AMA at the time in 2016. So we've grown a tremendous amount. And now we actually are in a world where we can say, hey, you know, an AMA of 22 million, that actually is bigger than, for example, like the World Series viewership, right? So we actually are in a place where we can do the direct comparison and stand on our own two feet. The macro point I always make when we talk about viewership is, listen, we're... We're in the, like the top half of the second inning of this thing. What was really interesting to me about about that video was the the visuals you showed, showing like what I think it was League of Legends, what the League of Legends like World Final Championship looked like. I don't, I think it was like maybe 2011, or I, I don't remember exactly the first the first year. And it's like you know kind of scrawny, and it's like some like teenagers it looks like in like a conference room or whatever. And then it shows what in 2016 that League of Legends final looked like, and it's in its stadium level, like it's it's huge. That was the visual that really stuck with me, and that speaks to that, that those growth trends. So I think I think that's worth talking about. Just a how much it's grown, sort of 2016 to now, but. Um, but sort of what you foresee in that. Yeah. So it, 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 so the setup is that it's, you know, every if you were there, it would feel like traditional sports in every way, except for you would have no idea what's happening on your screen, right? You're walking around a stadium, you're seeing, you know, a bunch of fans wearing the merchandise, the jerseys of the famous, you know, the favorite team, their favorite player. There's color and play-by-play commentary. They're kicking to an analyst desk in between games, which is the equivalent of, you know, a halftime show, right? You're, you're going to the NBA on TNT desk or, or, you know, what have you, the equivalent for every sport. You're seeing sports sponsor logo integrations on the screen and there's giveaways or you know live event activations it really is traditional sports in every way and to carly's point we've evolved a lot i mean you know as good as that world championship was in 2016 you know three years later the league of legends world championship won a sports emmy right i mean it's you know it's a the level of production around this stuff you know is is it's mind-blowing right it's it is every bit going to a tier 1a sporting event you know i've been to i've been to NBA Finals games, I've been to a Super Bowl, I've been to all of this stuff. Really the only thing that for me, from a production level, is a, a tier above is a Super Bowl, which is the marquee live sports event on planet Earth, basically, every year from a production standpoint. But, you know, going to the League of Legends World Championships is like going to the NBA Finals. I mean, you know, the last time it was in the U.S., it was at the Staples Center, and Zed played the pre-show with a custom song that he did for the League of Legends World Championships, and they rose up these clear screens all the way up in the Staples Center, and they had 3D custom art visuals going all the way around it, and I got goosebumps. Like, it was it was unbelievable visual spectacle in terms of what they are creating. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have, you know, as the audience has grown, the, you know, investment has grown, the production quality has grown, really all of this has improved dramatically, you know, and as big of a jump as we made from 2011 to 2016, we're making a similar jump from 2016 to 2021. I'm always fascinated by companies that are built you know, let's, with the digital world in mind, right? Where there's no brick and mortar. So everyone, everyone watching is watching online. Like that is so different than the Super Bowl where most of the people watching are watching on not even cable TV, broadcast TV, right? They've ever got, so um, totally different immersive experience that frankly, the monetization options and sponsorship options and interaction with the athletes are, are, are prob- probably endless. <laughs> Thank you.
I want to talk about the athletes and this structure. We love watching our athletes succeed and fail on the field. Like if there's a human element, have celebrities started to pop up? Like how does the athlete dynamic work in esports? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course there are celebrities, right? In the same way that when you follow a traditional sport, you fall in love with the best player, the most interesting player or some combination thereof. You're doing the same thing in esports. And depending on what game you follow and what region you're watching, you're, you know, different people are going to be a household name for you. So, you know, uh, NBA fan, you know, would freak out if LeBron James walked by them on the street and, a, you know, someone who doesn't follow the NBA at all might be like, that's a unusually large and physically fit human being, but like maybe they don't know. Or LeBron James is probably a bad example here, right? Because he's reached a level of kind of mainstream penetration that everyone, but like, you know, uh, what about someone who's like a very famous basketball player, but who isn't quite at that level, right? Uh, I don't know who's, you know. Josh Allen, I'm a Buffalo he, Bills fan. I see Josh Allen. He's great. Sure. He's amazing, but he's young. He's not, he's not yeah. LeBron James. Maybe he will and be I, a football player. Yeah, someday. depending on what game you follow, you absolutely have your celebrity. They're, you know, the top of these, of the performance ladder, you know, making seven-figure salaries and have hundreds of thousands of followers on social platforms. And, you know, they're a big deal. That's what yeah, They get paid seven figures. Like some of the, like what's the average and then what's the top end of what people are getting paid to do this? Some of these numbers have been released for League of Legends specifically, so I can talk about them. I do a lot of these deals, well, right? So, a lot of these contracts. Yeah, so I can't, I cannot comment on any of those, but I can <laughs> tell you that the the North American League of Legends League, which is the, the, um, you know, the biggest North American league for the biggest esport in the world right now releases these figures and the average salary is somewhere around $350,000 and on the high end, they're in the seven figures. It seems to me that there's actually even a higher level of intimacy between the players and their fans in the esports world because you have things like Twitch where some of these players have come up live streaming and talking directly to the fans. And so there's actually even more of a connection between the players and the athletes than you see in traditional sports. Is that right? Yes, absolutely 100% right. Uh, and it's an area where traditional sports are over time going to model after esports instead of the other way around because we are quite frankly better at this than stick and ball sports are. So, sure. you know, to put to put it in perspective, right, Twi I want to unpack Twitch, Carly, because I think very few people know what Twitch is that are outside of this world. Twitch is where we consume a lot of our content. YouTube is the other big place, right? Uh, both live streaming, you know, live streaming Twitch and YouTube, VOD mostly just on YouTube. And what you're doing when you're watching that, right? Let's just break it down in a way people understand. LeBron James goes to play pickup basketball. He slaps a GoPro onto his chest while he's playing pickup basketball with a bunch of other NBA players. And so you're getting a behind the scenes glimpse at what he's like in a more casual setting, how he interacts with them. He's talking shit. He's, you know, having a good time bantering back and forth. He's also working on his game though he's you know practicing his lefty hook shot today and so he's you know he's talking through everything from how he gets in the block how he creates space for the shot what he's doing with his footwork how he's thinking about how the defense is approaching it you know what he does if he gets double teamed all of these things and then where this analogy really breaks down is with twitch chat you know he's also got a live feed of everyone watching him that are memeing with him and asking him questions and commenting on things and he's responding to them in real time right and so that is happening every second of every day on twitch if you if you have if you're completely uninitiated if you have no idea what we're talking about right now go to twitch.tv and click on a random stream and see what i'm talking about and understand that there are you know to put twitch in perspective right is the second most popular live streaming platform behind only uh, Netflix in the U.S. Twitch's popularity is wild, right? I mean, they're doing right. over 10 billion hours watched annually. The average Twitch user goes back to the site for over two hours per session, and they have 16 million 
daily users on Twitch, right? So it is, this is a hub, not just of gaming culture, but of, of some other subcultures as well, but gaming is the is the primary focal point of Twitch. Um, and, it's, and it is wild what we've been able to do in breaking down some of these barriers between the celebrity and the fan. It strikes me as like part of this broader trend that we see in content and like the future of content, right? Like when I grew up, I watched like Disney Channel and it was highly produced and it was on TV and it was like very, you know, managed. And it feels like where content is moving for Gen Z is much more like on YouTube, somebody vlogging, like it's, it, there's a, a raw quality to it it's where they want to feel more yeah. like they're connected to the person as opposed to something that's like highly produced. And it feels like Twitch and, and gaming is really like a part of that trend. Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the democratization of content is everything. I mean, look at what we're able to do right now, right? I mean, you know, it's relatively straightforward. The technology we're using, basically everyone has in their home, right? Or a, a, the overwhelming percentage of, you know, Americans at least have in, have in their home and available to them. And it's funny to see some of these things went out, right? Just to derive foam your, your kind of what, how people think through broadcast quality um, and, you know, level production. Riot Games produced their version of SportsCenter, right? And poured millions of dollars and had access to every guest under the on to create like the marquee League of Legends talk show and a couple of influencers who literally just did this they sat at home and they recorded themselves and they brought on guests and they just talked about things zero production quality blew them away from viewership because it was it was less polished. It was what we wanted to see. It was raw. It was real. They were calling it like it is. If a team was, you know, doing terribly, they were like, this team sucks. And here's why they suck. Whereas when you're producing sports center, you don't do that. You kind of have to like, you know, Pay, oh, the they're politics gonna of it. Yeah, right. And it's like we don't want that. Like we want to just have a real conversation about what this is. Um, and so it's it's yeah, Twitch is absolutely part of this general movement of the democratization of content. And it's really cool. I'm thinking right now, if I could listen to Josh Allen during his practices talking about what he's thinking, how he's throwing a football. If you're a Tom Brady fan, or like you, if you're if you're a Leonardo Tom Hanks fan, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's talking about how he's approaching a scene and doing it seamlessly and casually and reacting to freaking comments as he's doing it. I would pay money for this. Like I, and, um, um, and I imagine people do. Well, I think that's the other piece of this is the monetization element of Twitch that's different than traditional sports because you can, you can pay right on Twitch, right? So if I'm gaming, somebody could, could kind of pay me directly as they're watching me. And that's where this also feels like there's there's all sorts of upside in the world of esports, like almost like salaries that don't exist in traditional sports. Or or are there rules around professional gamers getting money on Twitch? No, no, they can yeah, go and go and do your thing, right? There there are some differences in how traditional sports versus esports are monetized on the sponsorship level where for the most part esports teams are inventory aggregators, so you know, it's very common for team X to be sponsored by Nike and player Y to be sponsored by Adidas in traditional sports. That's less common in esports, part of the kind of package of what you're buying are some of those rights of publicity and so the team and players are collectively promoting a group of sponsors generically speaking but stuff like twitch is really separate and people monetize that independently and yeah they monetize they get donations on on twitch they have people subscribe for perks on the platform and for ad free experiences right you can run ads on twitch and the broadcaster collects a cpm on that so the content is free you can you don't need to be a you know it's not like netflix you don't need to be a netflix subscriber it's not all behind a paywall you can just go on twitch.tv right now and watch this stuff but you might get served an ad and you might you know have an opportunity to do other things to support the creator if you so choose Sports, at least historically, and I still think now, is so tied to culture. Um, 
And it's not just the United States, although that's a big one. Football dominates here. There's a cultural zeitgeist that happens around our sport. And it hasn't happened with esports yet. And I feel like that's to me where you real that's where you get into mainstream, in my opinion. So I want to start with like the athlete piece, because I think there's a common misconception. And I had it originally. I'm very guilty of this. I'm like, oh, esports, those, those aren't athletes, right? It, when people say they're not athletes, why are they wrong? So I'm not going to start from the premise they are wrong, right? Like I, I think that whether or not someone is an athlete or whether or not something is a sport is an arbitrary line drawing exercise that reasonable humans can disagree about, right? Like, it, it, you know, whether or not League of Legends is a sport is is on some level irrelevant, right? Like it, it's it's just about how many people care about it. And you're right, does it become part of the cultural zeitgeist, right? So for example, I'm a diehard sports fan. I have been for my entire life, right? Yeah. I, w- I watch, you know, I'm college basketball, football, right? Like these are these are parts of my everyday being, right? And have been since I was born basically. But I would rather watch a dozen different esports than watch baseball. Much to my dad's chagrin, right? Like he tried. He tried so hard to make me a baseball fan outside of the playoffs. It is just boring. Like I don't know how else to describe it. Like it is not compelling content to me. And it might be compelling content to someone else. And the reason why we have these debates, and there are people in my industry who get very up in arms about this debate, by the way, are esports sports, are the players athletes? For me, it's just like, you're letting people get under your skin for the wrong reasons, right? Like, do we care if some third party decides on the definition of sport and that we don't fall into it? Does that matter? Or is this really just about how popular it is, how many people want to watch the thing, engage with the thing, and call it a day, right? There are tons of sport. Like, does anyone argue about whether track is a sport outside of the Olympics every four years? Does anyone give a shit about track? Good point. I used to have so much fun getting under people's skin in the inverse where they would, I would say, okay, you know, esports aren't a sport. What are sports? Um, and they would tell me, oh, you need to be a certain level of athleticism to play. And they give me their definition. And I'd be like, great. By that definition, baseball is not a sport. And I, and, uh, I, they'd say, what are you talking about? Of course, baseball is a sport. It's been a sport forever. And I'd say, well, wait a second. You told me that in order for it to be a sport, everyone who plays has to be an elite athlete. I had an old boss I used to fight with that said, if you can eat nachos while you play it, it's not a sport. If you make baseball, if you're a right fielder, generally not a sport. Totally. And so it's, it's, it is very fun to kind of play around with people on this, but it's only because of like norms that if you tell them it's not a sport, it's less than, right? That's all that's really happening, right? If they would just reject the premise of the discussion and say, it doesn't really matter to me if you can, if you think baseball is a sport, I like it and I like watching it, we're fine, right? Like, you know, I, I watched a bunch of poker content in my life, right? And, and it was, and, and it's, people argued for years about whether or not poker is a sport. I don't care. It's entertaining. I watched a documentary last night about speed cubing. It is literally people who compete in Rubik's Cube competitions and there are audiences for this. You know, with the big comp, they were showing the world championships and there's an auditorium filled with people watching people solve Rubik's Cubes as quickly <laughs> as possible. And it was fascinating. And am I going to go to the, the you know, Rubik's Cube world championship? No, I probably won't. Uh, but there Twitch, are people who want to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And so, you know, chess is becoming really popular on twitch is it a sport no is it a video game no but like it's entertaining so why do we care so anyway so that's that conversation but i do actually want to get back to the core point you're making which is what goes into being a you know an elite player of these games and it is it is harder to visually grasp in the same way that when you watch you know a an elite athlete do their thing you know and you see you know 
Odell Beckham Jr. jump four feet in the air and catch a ball with one hand extended all the way out. And it's like, holy God, the fact that a human being can do that is wild. It's wild, right? And it's the same thing is happening in in, in everything from Counter-Strike to League of Legends to Dota to Rocket League. It's just happening in a form that's a little bit harder to grasp because it's mechanical skill that is being expressed through a mouse, keyboard, or console. It is a thought process, the series of decisions that are getting that are getting made. There is one of the most famous League of Legends plays of all time is from the most famous League of Legends player of all time. His name is Faker. He's a Korean mid laner. And it was a it was a mirror match. So they were both on the exact same champion, which doesn't happen very often for reasons that are not relevant to this discussion. And he so thoroughly outplayed another elite professional player on the same champion in the same moment that it was mind numbing. You have to you have to watch it on slow motion 20 times to actually understand just how thoroughly he owned this person. I mean, it's the equivalent of a basketball player in a in a, the NBA finals dribbling through someone's legs five times in a row and then dunking it on on top of them, right? And so these moments are happening, the skill is being expressed, and these people absolutely are in the point zero 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 one percent right, at the, at the highest levels. It's just not quite as easy to tell as someone jumping really high or running really fast. One thing that I find really interesting and, and find to be part of the compelling case that esports will be the future is a lot of traditional sports team owners have bought esports teams, right? Um, so maybe like I would love to hear from you a little bit about that and, and just why you really see esports as being the future and, and moving into the mainstream or what the case is for that. Yeah, I've worked on like dozens of those deals, right? So I've been in the room with the sports team owner time and time again as they're expressing why it's interesting to them. And they're depending on who you're talking about, there are a bunch of reasons why, you know, cross promotion, engage younger audiences, whatever. But across the board, if there's one thing that I think is at least in the back of everyone's mind, it's that at some point someone paid $100 million for an NBA franchise and everyone thought that person was crazy. Fast forward to today and the worst NBA franchise is worth a billion dollars. So there's a little bit of schmuck insurance here of like the writing is on the wall. This is going to be popular and like I have an opportunity to get on the ground floor. So why don't I just like plant a flag there and see where this goes, right? And where this is going, 100% it is inarguable is full mainstream penetration. So the, the you know you've both made the point that we're not there yet. We're not there yet in the US. We are there in certain places. So so Korea, South Korea is kind of the mecca of esports. It's where a lot of this was born and it's full cultural penetration in South Korea, right? I mean, you know, you talked about football being like that Zach in the US, you know, the the quarterback of the football team in the small town in Texas is like guaranteed to be the most popular kid at the school. Well, like the best League of Legends player is like guaranteed to be the most popular kid at the Korean high school, right? And where are they going to hang out? They're going to hang out in PC bungs, which are basically cafe slash bars where you can hang out, drink, you know, have fun with your friends and play games. And it's just a huge part of Korean culture. And there are places, you know, China is another one where the mainstream penetration is far ahead there than it is here. You know, the most popular 
League of Legends player in China is sponsored by Nike already, right? Um, so it, there are places where that's already happened. Now, it has not happened for the most part in the US, and we are trending very much up, right? So Ninja's the most famous gamer, most famous Western gamer on planet Earth. He's a former Halo professional player, former esports player or athlete, depending on what term you want to use, um, who became very popular along with the game Fortnite. And he's, you know, he's been on the cover of ESPN, the magazine, and he was part of a New Year's Eve Times Square thing. And he has his own line with Adidas and he is insanely famous, right? I mean, I, you know, uh, he's a very well-known person, particularly among younger generations. Now he straddles the gaming esports line, right? He's not an active esports professional player anymore. He's a former pro turned full-time content creator, um, right? But the ceiling of how famous a gamer can be is already pretty high, and it's just going to keep going up, right? I talked about us being in the bottom half of the second inning, this thing, you know, pick an arbitrary age. What, everyone 40 years old or younger grew up in a world where video games even existed, basically, right? So that means, like, well over half the world population grew up without them, and we convert these people all the time. You know, there are people older than 40 who didn't grow up with games who start playing games later or become esports fans, but it's hard. I, but the thing is, in the long run, I don't need to convert them, right? Uh, I, I frequently make a joke that pisses people off, which is every day a baseball fan dies and two esports fans are born, right? <laughs> um, median, ba median age of a baseball fan is in the 50s, right? The, you know, the overwhelming majority of my audience is under 35. So every day more esports fans are born. And that's why I'm 100% convinced that in 30 years, when we're listing the biggest sports in the world, we're going to say soccer, we're going to say a video game because we're already on this trajectory. The writing is on the wall. It was on the wall then. I said the exact same thing in a partner meeting at the third largest law firm in Seattle when I started my career and I started building a practice that all the you know, old white dudes at my firm were like, what the hell is going on? And I said, this is what's going on. Like, this is the data. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And it was, there were all sorts, there were people there who supported me, but a lot of people who didn't, right? I went out and kind of forged my, my own entrepreneurial path for a reason. You know, I said it in a talk in 2016, and I'll keep saying it, like, this is where this is all going. It's going up into the right. In 30 years, the most famous esports players in the US will be, you know, famous in the same way that an NBA player is famous. This is just inevitable. It's the thesis so cool. that people want to watch other people play video games, open, shut, done. I'm curious. I think video games, Andrew wrote this, wrote about this in his book, is um, something a lot of men are attracted to. Um, but I also have this vision of one of the first sports where men and women can compete against each other on without, without the limitations of, of, of physical, um, physical traits and like on, on relatively equal ground, I guess the definition of equal ground is that, are you guys seeing gender diversity and more women joining the sport? Or I'm, I'm curious demographics and who's playing. So by and large, we're not, and it's a huge problem, but to, to start with the premise, you know, it's not correct to say that that gamers are mostly or are like, you know, predominantly men, right? Of the 3 billion gamers in the world, somewhere between 40 and 45% of them are women, depending on what market research study you're looking at. Now, that is all gaming, right? There are certain sections of the population that are deeply interested in certain types of gaming. Like if you want to know the player base of Candy Crush, it is overwhelmingly women, right? And there are millions of people that play Candy Crush, right? So uh, the esports titles, the League of Legends and Counter-Strike of the world still are predominantly men. Uh, and there are 
the layers of this problem. We could do an hour on gender discrimination in gaming, and it's something I try to actively work on every every chance I get. And so here, here's what it looks like, right? Like, why are there fewer female engineers than there are male engineers, right? It, it starts from a very young age when parents tell their, you know, daughters and sons what they are and are not supposed to do. You know, son, don't play with this doll. Go play this sport, you know, girl, stop playing this video game, start doing this other thing instead, right? It's unbelievable how much these cultural norms affect us and affect what we're interested in from a very young age. And these things play out over the course of the entire, over your entire life. You know, a girl that was, is super into video games in high school is going to be treated differently, right? There, there are cultural norms that tell her she's a nerd, she's an outcast, right? She's an outlier, she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. And it's a real problem. And then you get into the games themselves and the harassment is unbelievable. I mean, any any game where there are voice communications, if you if you have friends who are women who play games, ask them what their experience is like, and they will have one of two answers. I don't use voice communications in in the game because I'm just, I just can't. I don't want to be harassed. I'm over it. Or two, I do it, and I'm constantly have my teammates harassing me, saying horrible things to me, intentionally losing games because the, the game because they're on the same team as a girl. It's un, it's it is horrible. Um, and so, and then they face harassment. You know, you, you do get through all of this stuff to be a professional female gamer in some capacity in a game or a content creator, or whatever. And you are harassed constantly on your social media handles, on your Twitch stream. You know, the, the, the parties in power are not doing enough job to correct this. But if we're being honest about it, this is a problem that goes so deep. There are so many layers to why these things happen. And it's, you know, there are, there are a lot of very good things that are happening, you know, girls who code, right, in projects like this who are trying to push the bounds of getting more gender diversity in professions where there is no reason why they are dominated by men, but there were no one reason why, but there are, you know, all these layers of the problem, and it very much exists in my industry as well. I hate it. I try to do what I can about it, but yeah, you're, Zach, the premise is correct. There is no reason why a man should be better at League of Legends than a woman, or a man should be better at Counter-Strike than a woman, but when you look at the professional player base of these games, they are almost exclusively men, uh, some of them are 100% men. There are no women playing in the North American League of Legends Championship Series, and in, in North, you know, and and that's a problem. New and innovative technologies, the cutting edge. Sadly, a lot of times when that is hap when they in the nascent stages, when they're being built and the process is being built, and that sort of thing, when it's predominantly men, the 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 issues you're highlighting aren't addressed early on and so then you have this entire system to fight against to even rewire it once it gets a little more popular i was a computer science minor in college and i you know i was sort of aware of of this problem then because i had professors who were into gaming or into gaming platforms and would talk about the harassment and i know in conferences it, it's always been really bad at gaming conferences and and doxing is is a phenomenon that's very prominent in the gaming yeah. community and especially towards women so this was you know probably seven years ago or whatever that I, this I, this was sort of at the forefront of, of things i was thinking about and knew about but I haven't kept up with it. Like, ha are you seeing improvements at least as much as it still has a long way to go? At the margins, we are seeing improvement. I mean, I don't want to say that we've seen no improvement because we have. There's some thoughtfulness around this. I mean, you know, Riot Games, for example, it's not just that the professional player base, it's throughout the gaming industry, right? If you want to work in gaming and you're a woman, the amount of adversity that you are facing is significantly higher than for your male peers. Anyone who denies that is an idiot. 
Um, and there were, you know, for example, there were active lawsuits against Riot Games, and there was a ton discussed about the culture of Riot Games, and there were some things about acute discrimination, but there were also things where, like, they had a bar as part of their admission process where it's like, you have to be a hardcore gamer, otherwise we're not really interested in hiring you. And if you do that, if you set a hardcore gamer bar, which on its face seems like a neutral criteria, we are a hardcore gaming company, we want hardcore gamers working here, you are neglecting the reality that a man is far more likely to be a hardcore gamer because of all of the other things I talked about leading up to the moment in time where this person applied to work at Riot Games. And so, um, you know, Riot culture has changed meaningfully. It's not perfect. There's, there was a, a, a lawsuit filed recently against the CEO for gender discrimination. So, which is, you know, it's an allegation. I'm not saying it's true or false, right? I have no idea, but it's not, we're far from perfect on that stuff, but there have been some improvements. I'm always hesitant to give us too much of a pat on the back for this because the the problem is still so bad and i literally cannot have a conversation with my female friends who work in the industry without hearing more and more stories about what it is like to just be them and and the the challenges that they face on a daily basis the discrimination in a business meeting you know I, i'm i'm on the board of an amazing uh, company that is has two female founders and if i attend a meeting with them they are the founders they is their company. I am just there, right? And we're across from a, a man in a meeting. One out of two times, they'll have a conversation with me. Like I'm like, you're asking about their company. Talk to them, right? Like, why is this a? Com I'm here to support. I can add some context, value, whatever. But like, this is a conversation between you and these two amazing women, and I'm along for this ride. And it's just, it is you know, as as much as we've come a long way over the course of the last five years, Carly, we still have so much more to go. That's really frustrating and makes some sense. This is sadly not an exclusive problem to the esports or the gaming industry. And that, frankly, we could have a whole podcast on this. Um, it's one of the reasons why Andrew and myself and, and Carly have worked in politics, trying to solve some of these on a society-wide scale. As, as we wrap this, I want to talk about what this looks like in the future. My vision was always like some sort of blend of the physical and the digital. Uh, where do you think this is going? We're still a ways away from having the like football played by human beings without the physical contact where like your size, strength, speed is expressed through this virtual reality world and you can have some of the upside of like football and traditional sports in general, you express that without the downside of, you know, literally killing the participants, right? Um, so, you know, maybe someday the technology gets there. I'm not a VR expert, so I can't say. It's certainly something that people are going to be pushing on and, you know, people will try and whether or not VR ever becomes the technology gets good enough and it gets cheap enough to the point where you have widespread adoption, which is critical, right? Because if you don't have it, then you can't get to that level, right? Why is soccer the most popular sport in the world? It's not just because it was played everywhere. You have to ask why it was played everywhere. And the answer is, it's the lowest barrier to entry sport. You literally just need a very cheap ball and you don't, you don't even need a goal or a field. You people play it on street and you know, play all, you know, you throw down, you know, any kids knows this, you throw two, two jackets on the ground and it's, a, and it's, you know, a goal, right? It's like so easy. So, um, you know, will VR ever get to that point? Maybe, right? Only time is going to tell on that one. And if it does, then maybe the most popular sport in the world will be virtual reality or something, like, you know, AR or something, right? Uh, part of where this is going is mobile for sure, right? You know, mobile games are the fastest growing sector of gaming as a whole. Um, and it is exploding in growth and popularity. It's a complicated meshing of principles, though, because compelling mobile games are 
are simple enough to work on a small device and they have a short enough session time that it's like naturally suited to the platform. And the best esports and sports in the world tend to be more complicated and tend to involve longer session time. There are some popular mobile esports. Absolutely. You know, PUBG is a very popular mobile esport, for example. Um, you know, Clash Royale, very popular mobile esport. But they're not on the same scale as Counter-Strike or League of Legends. Someday that will get solved. Someday someone is going to come up with the right cross-section of those two things. And, you know, I could easily see a world in which the most popular esport is mobile, but we're not there yet. I think I've missed the boat a little bit on this. I, I don't think I'll ever become a gamer particularly, but I totally buy the premise that this is the future and like this is where things are going. So if from like a business perspective, I'm like, this is interesting. I want to learn more about it. Like, Carly where do I go? Carly, I would, yeah, I, what do I invest like, in? What Bryce? am I buying? Yeah. What's what going do I room? invest in? <laughs> yeah. Carly I, stonks, I get... Riley. Show it. <laughs> Tell us what's up. Uh, from an investment perspective, it's tough. Most of it's private and the public exposure is, is, um, probably oversold and, and like, you know, in practice, there are like esports ETFs and things like that. And some of the people behind them are great human beings. And, uh, you know, I think that the goal there is really good. But if we're being honest about how much esports exposure there is in the stocks in the portfolio, it's like really small, right? Like, you know, the esports exposure, even when you're getting the biggest esports companies, you know, Blizzard Activision, right, which makes Overwatch and Call of Duty and uh, Riot Games is owned by Tencent and Tencent is publicly traded on the Chinese stock exchange. And so you can, you know, get Tencent stock and, you know, doesn't Amazon own Twitch? You buy Amazon. Yeah, want, Amazon. Right? Yeah, ex Sweet. exactly. But like what percentage of, you know, Twitch is a giant company, but like what percentage of Twitch exposure are you getting when you buy Amazon stock, right? right. Same thing as like what percentage of esports exposure are you getting when you buy Tencent stock? Well, they own a stake in Supercell. Supercell has some esports. They own a stake in Riot. Riot has esports. But like it's mostly a games related investment, not an esports investment. So there are you know, this trend is changing. There have been some esports companies that have that have gone public on the Canadian stock exchange, I think one or two in the US. There are lots of conversations around SPACs and IPOs for esports companies. So there will be more opportunity in the public markets, but right now most of your investment opportunity on esports is private. For all of the reasons that I've talked about on this podcast, esports was a very sexy investment topic and, and still is to this day. Uh, and so you have a lot of people who deployed capital into a lot of ventures of questionable success likelihood, I guess is a very generous way of putting it. You know, it's kind of like betting on the internet right in the 90s. That's you know, for exactly every, what I was going to say. Yeah, for every like Google, there's a hundred pets.coms, right? Where it's like, I'm to the moon with this internet thing that you're hearing about. And it's like, ah, probably Wait, not Andrew to Star, that CharityStar.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Andrew Yang. Uh, Andrew actually, was it? Solid idea. Um, he started Omaze before Omaze, but Omaze before Omaze. So actually, you know, yeah. his idea was actually good. It just got in the dot com bubble. But that doesn't stop my plan here. I think Yang Speaks should explore very seriously buying an esports team um, <laughs> or something fun. I'm dead serious about this. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yes, and I have capital, DM me. Uh, this it. will be amazing. Um, Bryce will call you to handle all litigation and strategy. Um, don't know <laughs> what we're doing. What, what are you excited about 10 years from now in, in this space? Uh, 10 years from now will be the period of time where the esports industry is going to start to actually look like whatever it's going to be when it grows up. So, you know, as with all things where you have an enormous amount of investment that pours in, and I alluded to this earlier, I think many of those things are going to fail. There's conversation around the esports bubble. You know, I the analogy is fair in the sense that there are 
esports companies out there that are overvalued. There are companies that have raised millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars that are going to fail and fail big time. And that will cause some regression in the market, right? Some people who were thinking, oh my God, this is so sexy, are going to have a conversation with someone who lost $10 million on their esports investment and they're going to shy away. But that's okay with me because quite frankly, there's too much of some of this stuff, like too many players in the field because it was like everyone wanted to be in the esports space for a time. And so for me, 10 years from now will be when we so have sorted all of that out a little bit, the dust will have settled in the kind of the post shakeup and valuation normalization, uh, and we'll be building the real esports infrastructure of the future. And I'm excited because I don't, you know, I've speculated about what that's going to look like, but I'm not positive, right? Like for example, one of the big aspects of the esports ecosystem we haven't talked about is the publisher, right? Like these are sports that are owned, you know, no one has to pay the Naismith family a royalty to run and broadcast a basketball tournament. You know, as we've seen, you can just run one, you know, ESPN during the NBA offseason runs the basketball tournament. Now, what stop what protects the NBA's market share is that they have all the best players signed to exclusive contracts. And all, you know, if you want to watch the best basketball, that's where it's going to be. And it's really hard to imagine someone disrupting it. You can try, you know, if you want to be Vince McMahon, you can create the XFL and try to, you know, run up, run up against the NFL. You can't do that in esports, right? The publisher has, you know, owns the sport and can stop you from broadcasting it. And what that has led to is a, a series of decisions that have caused the biggest publishers to control much, if not in the entirety of their esports ecosystem. I'm not convinced that's what this is going to look like long term. It could. It definitely could. Riot Games has, for example, developed as, as has Blizzard or Activision, developed an enormous amount of internal capabilities around operating a sports league. But at the end of the day, their core business is in making games and making those games good and creating compelling monetization loops for them, not running a sports business. And so you know, it would not shock me if in the long run, the majority of esports were actually run by third parties like the NBA, you know, hey, we have 30 indoor venues all over the country. We have deep connectivity to everything you would need from media to sponsorships to monetize the heck out of this thing. Um, license it to us. We'll pay you a flat fee. We'll give you some revenue upside and like, let us be your sports league arm. I, I'm of the belief there's a meaningful chance that will be where this goes, but uh, it, time is going to tell depending on how the bubble bursts and you know what are the implications of that. So I'm excited to be 10 years down the road and see what we're actually building that will be the infrastructure for the next 100 years. That is exciting. And a lot of these leagues exist, and a lot of people know a lot more about this than me, but the reason you know, the NFL, the NBA exists, a lot of it's liability and, and also profitability, right? It's like protection. It's easier to blame Roger Goodell than XYZ video game company, right? Um, and Goodell's protected by all the owners and go down the list, right? I'm grateful for your time, Bryce. This was fascinating. Um, where this goes will be mind blowing. I always, I've always had this theory that if, as soon as an insurance company sponsors it, then it's officially mainstream. <laughs> um, so when Geico is calling to sponsor your, uh, your, your the leagues, then we'll, we'll know. And so hopefully 10 years we'll come back and see if Geico's involved. Well, Zach, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I got to do it. I've done a Geico sponsorship deal for an esports no team. No way. So, so I guess right, we're there. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for, for teaching us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Keep kicking butt and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, this was great. Thank you both so much. 